Okay, after having prayed, we will now look into Isaiah. We will be finishing up 42 this morning. Should be able to do that without any problem. And then we'll be moving into 43. Uh, Just a quick refresher here. Remember these people are in Babylon. They're in captivity. Uh, We're not sure exactly how long they've been in captivity. But um, some had probably been there for a long time. And we're wondering if Yahweh even was thinking about them anymore. Some of them may have been born in captivity and even now are in adulthood. And they have never seen the land. And chances are they've never been taught. So that's the situation here. The people are wondering if they are all going to die in captivity. Last week we started chapter 42, and um, which would be a very comforting uh, passage to them. And, well, last week we actually did verses 10 through 13. Two weeks ago we started it. And uh, chapters 10 through 13... Uh, shows that the people of God sing, they love to sing, and they should be singing a new song here because God has told them wonderful things in an advance in redemptive revelation. And um, we saw at the end of this that these verses teach without any doubt that the Lord will prevail, His purpose of saving the world will be accomplished, and His grace of God is very wide in the fact that Keter and Selah are included in His saving works. So that brings us up through Isaiah 42, 13. So we will be picking up with verse 14 this morning. Any questions on anything? Now any comments, insights? Okay. Samuel, we'll start with you this morning. Uh, 42 verses um, 14 through 17 is what we'll go through at first. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will erase the mountains and hills and dry up all the vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands, and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked paths straight. These things I will do for them, and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, You are our gods. These people have been waiting a long time for God to act. And he says here that he's held his peace a long time, but now he is going to act. So in your notes there, it says it may appear that the captives in Babylon, to the captives in Babylon, that God has been inactive for a long time, and therefore he may have forgotten about them. But these verses assure them that he has not forgotten. Because he says, I've held my peace, I haven't been very active, 
but I am going to become very active. Then again in your notes, he's getting ready to become active like a woman going into labor. According to verse 14, it says, I will cry like a woman in labor. So, in other words, he's saying, now's the time. So he assures them that nothing will stand in his way, not even human frailty or incapacity. Uh, <clears throat> idolaters will be exposed and put to shame. God is going to act. His people are going to know it. Nothing is going to stop Him. And on top of that, idolaters, those who trust in carved images, and say to molded images, you are our gods, they are going to be put to shame. So Yahweh will be vindicated. His people can be assured. Just because He hasn't acted up to now, He's going to. These people like us, need to learn that God has His timetable. He doesn't work according to our timetable. Alright. Now we're going to go ahead and finish out this chapter. Um, Audrey, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. Uh, 18 through 25, yeah, 18... Beginning at verse 18. Feel your death, and look to the blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is prophet, and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not absolve. Opening the ear if he does not hear. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is the people, robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes, and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey, and no one delivers, for plunder, and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robber? Was it not the Lord, he against whom he has sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger. And the strength of battle, it has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know, and it burned him. Yet he, yet he did not take it to take it to heart. Okay. And Eden, will you read, look up for us, Isaiah six verses eight through ten. Isaiah chapter six. Verses 8 through 10. And I'll tell you when to read. <clears throat> okay, now, in the rest of this chapter, I'm just going to make a few brief comments on this. Concerns Israel's failure to evangelize the nations. Remember, Israel was supposed to be a priest to God. They were supposed to tell all the nations of the earth, all the Gentiles, how great God is and tell them they need to repent put away their idols and serve Yahweh and Him only. However, they have been a miserable failure to do that. And Jesus Christ is the true servant of God. He would come to do what the false servant has failed to do. This uh, section here beginning in um, verse 18 
states that hear you deaf and look ye blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? And of course he's not talking about his servant Jesus there. He's talking about Israel, the miserable failure. And seeing many things you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. Okay, let's have Isaiah 6 verses 8 through 10 read. This is right at Isaiah's call. This was his first day of being a prophet. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull, and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. Okay, that's good. So, that sounds a lot like what we're reading here in Isaiah 42. He was told that <clears throat> these are deaf and blind people. You might as well be speaking to dead people. And it is repeated here. And it shows what a miserable failure that um, that Israel had been in their calling to be God's servant. And the rest of the chapter just kind of expounds on that. And of course we will have Jesus, the true vine, and in Isaiah, I mean in uh, John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Uh, so he's Israel's true vine, true servant. Whereas, uh, as we read earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah is the false vine, the fault, the, uh, the, um, failure of being a vine, failure of evangelizing the nations. Alright, that's all I'm going to say on 42. Anybody else have any insights on that? Okay. That brings us now to Isaiah 43. We will try to cover these first seven verses today. And Jen, I will ask you to read that for us. Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, it shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Okay, now these verses, some commentators say, is like a love letter from the Lord to His faithful people. 
He's telling them here how much He loves them and what He is going to do for them. So in these verses, Yahweh again gives words through Isaiah of assurance to His people in exile. It appears to me anyway that He is speaking only to the faithful remnant. The other people probably aren't even listening anyway. But for His faithful remnant, He is speaking assurance to them. And in verse 1, He reminds them. He reminds them of who He is. He is the Creator, which means He is sovereign. The whole world is in His hands, as it has been said. So all these peoples are in His hands too. And He is also their Redeemer. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. Um, so we have here that God is not only their Creator, but He is also their Redeemer. And then He also says that they are His children. As I have called you by your name, you are mine. And as we read in verse 6, at the end of the verse, verse, He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So they're His sons and daughters. They are His children. So be assured of this, you faithful people in Israel, that I have created you. I'm all sovereign. I have redeemed you. I love you. And that you are my children. You have been adopted into my family. And I know each one of you intently. So that's the words of comfort he speaks in verse 1. Alright, they seem to be in fear, but he tells them not to fear. They really have nothing to be afraid of. And the reason that they're not to fear is that he is dealing with them on the basis of works, not merit. No, excuse me. On the basis of grace, not merit. Let's see if y'all were asleep. Regardless of what I am saving you, he's saying, in spite of what you've done. Not because of what you've done for me, but in spite of what you have done to me. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. What does that remind you of? When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Daniel. When... In the book of Daniel, I don't think Daniel was thrown into the fire, but his brothers were thrown into the fire. And they not only didn't burn, but they didn't smell like they'd been anywhere near a fire. God was watching over them. Nothing terrible happened to them. So in verses 3 to 4, it should be actually 2 to 4, he tells them that he will protect them from all danger. Nothing bad will happen to them. They are precious in His sight and He loves them. Remember, these Babylonians and all the other nations, they worship gods that are totally impotent. And they are like them. Those who worship them are like them. Psalm 115, Psalm 135, and places in Isaiah tells us. They are 
not even a small dust on the scales, he tells them in chapter 40. You have nothing to fear. I am Yahweh, your creator, your redeemer, and I am your protect protector. <clears throat> nothing bad will happen to them. They are precious in his sight, and he loves them. He has protected his people in the past, and he will protect them. Laura, will you look up Titus 1, 3 through 4, please? All right, continue, and I'll tell you when to read. In verses 3 to 4, he also tells them that, excuse me, Yahweh tells them he is their Savior in verse 3. He says, I am the Lord your God. Yahweh Elohim, I am the Lord your God. Uh, Elohim Ka, I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom and Ethiopia and Seba in your place. I am Yahweh. I am your God. I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Okay, Laura, will you read that passage, please? Okay, that's one, three, and four. That's, that's correct. And now, at just the right time, He has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for Him. I'm writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. Okay. And let me see if I got this right. Um, let's see. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time. I'm bringing out the New King James. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. In verse 4, he says, To Titus, a true son in our common faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll get this right in a minute. At the very end of verse 3, it, uh, Paul says, God our Savior. very end of verse 4, he says, Christ our Savior. So I think we have very strong evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ here. Because God is the Savior. Christ is the Savior. And we're told in Isaiah 43 that God, Yahweh, is their Savior. So Yahweh is God is Jesus. Any insights on that? Like, I think it was uh, John Murray that says the, the Trinity is not just something that's spoken of here and there in the Bible. It is all over the Bible. You just can't avoid it. Alright, so here we have that what I believe is strong evidence even proof that Jesus is Yahweh. Alright, God tells them again in verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. All they need to know is that God is with them. Remember He said to Moses when Moses went down to Egypt, God says, I'm with you. You can come up with any excuse you want, but I'm with you. That's all you need. In Psalm 23, 
The psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now we need to know that God is with us. Look at John 14. I mean 15. John 15. We'll start with verse chapter 14. I'm sorry. I had it right to begin with. Jesus says in 14.21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in 20, verse 23, He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. We actually have Jesus abiding in us. And we in Him. In chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. So Jesus abides in us and we abide in Him. We have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit interpenetrating each other in the Trinity. As Jesus says, Who has seen me has seen the Father. And I and the Father are one. And so we have kind of an interpenetration here. Because Jesus and the Father and the Spirit all dwell in us. They abide in us. So, He is with us in a very special way. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if God tells them to fear not, certainly with the the, uh, further revelation we have from God, we shouldn't really fear anything. Perfect love cast out fear. God loves us perfectly and we should be loving Him perfectly. So the idea that God dwells in us, God abides in us, that uh, He is not only with us, but He is in us. He is in us. Also in verse 5, we see that He will gather them back, in verse 6 rather, excuse me, He will gather them back to the land. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So whatever God foreordains, whatever He commands, that will happen. God loves them in such a special way. And God says that He is going to bring them back to the land. And He says He can and will do this because His glory is at stake. Everyone who is called by My name, who I have created for My glory, I have formed Him. Yes, I have made Him. Every person that's ever been created has been created for the glory of God. And... He is saying that they are going to glorify Him. They're going to finally do sometime in the future what they've been formed to do. Now those that will not glorify God on earth, they will glorify Him eventually. One way or the other. And these people need to realize that Almighty God, infinite and eternal, has created them for His glory. 
That's why they're there. So God will save them for His glory. So His glory would be manifested in His people, just like that's what they were created for. All right, any other insights there on... Let me ask one question. In 43.3, he says, I gave Egypt for your ransom. Anybody want to... Uh, well, the obvious thing is Egypt was plundered at the end. You know, they willingly gave their their valuables to the Israelites, so with no other reason. Plus, I think the loss of the Israelites probably decimated the economy because they didn't have a construction crew. Yeah, <laughs> and it didn't stop there. It happened later. Yeah. Um, Kidner said. Derek Kidner says, "Great nations will fall." To make way for Israel, which is what Kim said happened. Great nations will fall to make way for Israel. You're talking about everything for God's glory. And there in the John 14 passage, 14 passage, you're saying that, you know, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, I will love and shows that they love me. Go back to your Isaiah 42, verse 21. The Lord is willing for his righteousness sake that he may magnify the law. But that's why the Israelites were sent into captivity because they didn't keep the law. But to keep his own faith, the people that he chose to disobey them, he was going to pull them out of captivity again and give them the second chance, if you will, to honor him and worship him for yeah. his glory. Absolutely. Kept his word. <clears throat> yep. Okay, let's. We got uh, another handout here, beginning in verse eight. I guess I might hand this out. What was the last blank in God's eyes to the All of this is God-centered. Yeah, all of this is God-centered. It's not man-centered. He created them for His glory, and He will be glorified. Through him. And while he's handing that out, Matt, Alanda, if you will read for us verses 8 through 13, and then after 8 through 13, that'll be about as far as we get. And then Joshua. You may not even have to look this up. John 14, 6. Okay. Alanda, verses 8 through 13 of Isaiah 43. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, 
that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and pro pro proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? All right, you have the idea here, uh, all throughout this passage, the central idea is verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And then in 13, there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. So this passage in your notes is basically a courtroom scene. God summons the nations. He tells them to produce their idols. They are to be compared to Israel's God, Yahweh. What are they compared to Him? So, same. <clears throat> Compare you to me. So it's basically a courtroom scene. Alright, of course nobody can answer because their gods are no gods. Then the Lord tells His people to witness for Him and they are His elect servants and the true ones know and believe in Him. They are to witness these things about Yahweh that He is eternal. He's not a carved image made by men's hands. He is the only Savior. There is no other Savior and no other God. And He is omnipotent. Okay, read 14.6 if you will for us. <clears throat> Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Alright, Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but through me. Exclusively. He is the only way. There's one way and only Him to get to God. And God is saying in these verses that in 11, there is no Savior besides me. There is no God besides me. So it's what we have is a fact that there is one God, that there is one Savior, and Jesus Christ says, no man comes to the Father but through me. Joshua? It's interesting that Jesus' name is anglicized to be Jesus. So in Aramaic, it's Yeshua, in Greek, it's Jesus, and in Hebrew, it's Yehoshua. And all three of these mean one thing, and that means Yahweh saves. And so he's actually actually bears Yahweh's name. And in English, my name is Joshua too. Yeah. Which is in English, Joshua. Yeah. And I don't bear you know, God's name like Jesus does, but nevertheless, his name is significant for that reason. Right. Glad you brought that up. All right. Now, as far as there being one religion, that is Yahweh. Jesus. And Joshua will probably get to this in a few weeks. I want to read this in 
the larger catechism. What are the sins forbidden in the second commandment? Before I say that, you know, you don't hardly find, you can't turn on the TV and hear anybody say, or the radio, hardly anybody say that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. That's just one of many religions to get you to God. And most evangelical leaders, preachers, teachers, if they're asked if there's any other way other than Jesus, most of them won't say no. There's no other way. That is hideous. That is really hideous. I want to read this in the second commandment. What are the sins forbidden in the second commandment? According to our larger catechism, the sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and in any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself. And then it says, tolerating a false religion. Tolerating a false religion is forbidden in the second commandment. And then it says, the making of any representation and so on. But remember those words, tolerating a false religion. No inclusion? That's the original version of the Westminster Confession. Yeah. 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 All right. Thus saith the framers of the original framers of the Westminster Confession. I want to read this to you in the Americanized version. What are the sins forbidden in the second commandment? The sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself. The making of any representation of God, etc. Etc. But, uh, but what was left out? Tolerating. Tolerating a false religion. To me, that's going downhill. When we get on TV, when our leaders get on TV, and they're asked, is there any other way? We don't, shouldn't tolerate it. We should say, no, there's no other way. Okay, darling. I was with a lady this past week, and she was asking me some very pragmatic questions. It wasn't necessarily exactly about not tolerating other religions, but it was similar. And she said, well, what are we supposed to do? And I I think about the public school system and secular humanism and witchcraft. You know, you can't can't say Christmas, but you can talk about Halloween. (laughs) How she wanted to know, how does she as an individual elderly woman do something about not, you know, effectively not tolerate false religions in our country. And the, the whole conversation was based on why is our country going through what it's going through. I said, I think it's all punishment. I think it's God's way of punishing us, even Christians, who, because we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're allowing the culture to take over the church instead of the church putting God's leavening into the culture. So she wanted she wanted me to give her a list of practical ways that she can get rid of that whole tolerance of false religions. I was hard pressed. We need to not have an idolatrous image of Jesus. The vast majority of Christians do. Um, Jesus is the one who drowned the world and saved no. And what? Inside no. Okay. And saved Noah. Saved Noah and his family. 
He killed every single living thing on this planet, save what was in yeah. the boat. And Jesus sealed Noah in the boat to save him from God's wrath. It says that God sealed Noah in the ark. It was Jesus who led the armies of Israel in Joshua, in Joshua 5, in the genocide of the Canaanites, cutting down every man, woman, child, infant, every pregnant lady, every animal, uh, every calf, uh, everything, suckling, nursing, kid, whatever, it doesn't matter. Every single person that was left in Canaan, in the particular towns that they were going into, especially the first city they conquered, Joshua was led by the angel of the Lord, that is, Jesus. The land that you're standing is holy. Jesus, or Joshua offers this angel worship, and this angel doesn't say, don't worship me. All angels, all servants of Yahweh, who are angels throughout all of Scripture, whenever they appear, scare people, and then they bow down and worship. They think they receive the glory of the angel. And every time that it's an actual servant, don't worship me, only worship God. This is a time where this particular angel doesn't say that. That's Jesus. Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire in the tabernacle. And Jesus consumes them in fire. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. No man has seen the Father. So whenever we, whenever we have seen God, seen Yahweh in the Old Testament, we need to remember, every time we see God, we're seeing Jesus. <coughs> because Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. And so... We have an idolatrous view of who Jesus is. And that's part of the reason why we tolerate the things that we tolerate. We need to be very intolerant of evil. If it offends our Lord, we should have a zero tolerance policy towards it. And if that means that other people aren't going to like us, well, may they be damned. Because Thanks. Joshua is absolutely right. And if what he is saying is taught in the churches... Most churches would be emptied out. Yes. Which would be idolatry. They have another God. Yeah. yeah if if Paul was to preach in a church who would now. Who would be leaving? Uh, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, that would be maybe a good. The, the church would be purged, yeah. 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 I some believers. time ago, I listened to a sermon by Vadi uh, Bosham um, in which he really emphasized uh, where was that passage I think it was either in one of the Psalms or in Isaiah where it expressly says God is a man of war yeah that's in uh, Exodus 15 when they were singing the song of Moses after, song the, of Moses. after the Egyptians were dead on the sea yeah our God is uh, totally different from what America's God is Lawrence Sabaoth from uh, Our God's Mighty Fortress. Sabaoth is Hebrew for Lord of Hosts. That is Lord of the Army. So. Okay. We, we will continue this next week. Good discussion. We will need to uh, call it right now. And uh, Chase, I'll ask you to close us in prayer, please.